God's word through us um, this morning um, comes from Matthew in the genealogy that he gives us at the beginning of his gospel, which for a lot of us is kind of boring and tedious, and how in the world am I going to pronounce all these names without messing at least one of them up, which I can guarantee you I will do. <laughs> but I'm going to remind us of a couple things before I actually read it, and then read it how the people in Jesus' time and past in the past from that would have read it more, hopefully, um, giving us a taste of why genealogies were not only important but also, in a sense, almost exciting, almost, oh yeah, remember that and remember that. Advent is a time, as we've already talked about, of waiting and then preparing and of watching. It's waiting for God's plans to unfold in even broader and deeper ways in us, around us, and through us. And one of the reasons we need to every year do that again is because I think that we forget not only the extent of the problem, but the extent of the solution. We forget that the very moment um, our human parents chose to go away other than God's way and fell, as we say, God set about immediately a plan at work to also account for that, to take care of that sin, that evil, that fallenness that entered into God's good creation um, at the very moment that that happened. And he tells Eve, through one of your seed or your offspring will come, the one who will take care of this once and for all. And so like I said, I think we often forget how pervasive the problem is how pervasive sin and dysfunction and unhealth is in our lives and our world and our families. And we often forget to the extent to which God went and goes and keeps going to correct that, to put that back on track. And so Advent is a time of watching and waiting and preparing and remembering to yet again know how wonderful that really is, as Jan just said. What God is doing in bringing the Messiah and then in bringing back that Messiah is putting all things right. And he constantly, I think, billions of times a day corrects and changes course as we keep getting off tracks in all kinds of ways. And then God has to say, okay, well, now what do I do? <laughs> okay, well, now what do I do? And he constantly keeps tweaking his plan to bring us to the place where we need to be. And Advent is a time of us remembering that. Part of what we also need to know, though, is that whole promise to Eve of one of your seed, one of your offspring, was just the beginning of why for God's people, um, this whole idea of being able to trace back where you came from was so crucial and so important. And then as that um, promise became tied to David and to David's line, and being able to trace that back as well um, became important. 
Our brains are actually wired for story. Has anybody heard that or know that? That our brains actually remember things. Um, they actually um, help us to know who we are and where we've come from and where it is that we're going. And so stories help us to do that. Every family has stories and legends about the people that came before them and who they were and what they did. And one of the legends in our family is my great-great-grandpa, whose name was George Barr. And George was a pioneer. He literally went um, from the east and all the way out to Washington State um, to create a new life for his family. If you've ever looked at a picture of Walt Whitman with that big old white beard and wild eyes, that was my grandpa Barr. In pictures, that's exactly how he looked. And so he went out to Washington to carve out this life and became a logger and cut down trees. And he became famous for being able to, the legend goes, drive a stake into a ground with the tree that he would cut down. He got so good at placing that tree where it needed to go. Well, another legend in my family is my grandpa. I'm going to see Grandpa Barr, his grandfather. I'm all the way from Iowa. I'm in a Model T, if you can imagine. And going in a Model T all the way across the Dakotas and Montana and Idaho um, to get to Washington State um, to spend a summer um, with his grandfather. And again, the legend, uh, one time when we got my grandpa actually talking about all this, it was just amazing um, to hear that adventure, that journey of, I don't know if anybody of you have ever driven or know anything about Model Ts, <laughs> but you basically have to repair them constantly um, along the way, wherever you're going. And so my grandpa, alone in this Model T, I'm going out there, always had to figure out how to fix it, how to keep going, um, what to do to get there. Um, but the other um, part of the story um, that's crucial for our family is why my grandpa, as a, a late high school, I don't remember if it was when he actually graduated or just late in his time in high school, went to all of that effort and energy and adventure and risked all that to go see his grandfather. And it was because his grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, um, was one of the only people who was a father figure to him um, in his life. And my grandpa basically grew up um, almost as slave labor for his dad. He would pick berries or other crops all day, sometimes 12 hours a day, and then he was made to go sell them at a roadside stand, even after having worked all day and picking. And then when he was around 10, 12, his dad just disappeared up and left um, and never came back. And so I don't know my great-grandfather's name because my grandfather wouldn't talk about him. And whenever you brought it up, he would just say, I'm not going to talk about that. And he would just kind of shut the whole thing down. And so the reason he took that Model T journey all the way to Washington State to see his grandfather was because of the love that he had for him because he loved him and expressed an interest in his life and was one of the only father figures that he had 
them at the time. Those kinds of stories are the stories that came to people's mind um, as they read this genealogy about Jesus. And so as I read it now, I'm going to give us a little taste of that. If I went through um, all of them, we'd be here for a long time. (laughs) But I'm just going to highlight three to kind of give you a sense of how people would read a genealogy and why Matthew decides um, to start with it at the beginning of his gospel. So here now... Um, the word of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Oh, Tamar. You guys remember the story of Tamar? Um, Not just a little bit scandalous, um, but Judah, um, as Tamar's father-in-law, when Judah's son Ur died, because this whole thing of passing things along generationally, and especially the land that was tied to the family, um, and even your livelihood depended on having children, so the tradition was that if um, somebody was widowed, then it was the responsibility of the father-in-law to give that woman in marriage to the next oldest son. And so Tamar found herself whittled as Ur died, and Judah's responsibility was to pass her along to Onan, which he did. But Onan purposely made it so that they wouldn't have kids, and eventually he died as well. And so Tamar literally tricked her father-in-law because... uh, He, Judah, at this point, was like, well, she must be cursed. (laughs) And so I definitely don't want to pass her along to my youngest son and have him die as well. And so Tamar, in her desperation um, to pass along the family line, tricks her father-in-law into becoming the father um, of her child. And this is one of Jesus' ancestors, Because of what Tamar did, the line carried on, and eventually, as we'll see, comes to Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And again, Ruth, does anybody should call to mind the whole story of Ruth? Somebody who wasn't supposed to be in on the story or part of the family, a foreigner from Moab. But because she clung to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and said, your people will be my people and your God will be my God, gets taken with Naomi back and mates Boaz and marries him and becomes the great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. It's a great love story, and there's all kinds of things in it. So if you haven't read Ruth lately, I encourage you to go to the Old Testament and read the book of Ruth. And so Ruth becomes part of Jesus' family tree because she clung to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi. 
And Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. How interesting is it how Matthew, the father of Uriah's wife, anybody remember who that was? Bathsheba, right? Again, not just a little bit of scandal going on with David um, should be off at war, but instead he's bored um, in his castle, um, sees Bathsheba and says, thinks to himself, I have to have her as my wife. And so he literally puts her husband in harm's way in battle to ensure that he will be killed um, and then takes her um, as his wife. And she becomes part of Jesus's family tree as well as she becomes um, the father, I mean, the mother of Solomon. And for some reason, Solomon was who God chose instead of Absalom. There was something about Solomon that God needed that was different um, than Absalom. And so God, again, adjusts plans, even using the fallenness of David one of his weakest and worst moments to somehow bring about the right thing, the right person, as Solomon becomes part of Jesus's family tree too. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa, and Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, and Jehoram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Ammon, and Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time by the exile to Babylon. And after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azar the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Elihud, and Elihud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the father of Jesus, who is called the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the deliverer who will once and for all take care of this problem of sin and evil and fallenness and dysfunction as we see in all of these families along the way. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And so what is Matthew doing in this genealogy? And why does he even highlight some of the worst parts of the genealogy, some of the most scandalous things, Matthew goes out of his way to say things like the wife of Uriah, who had been Uriah's wife, to bring to mind that whole thing. 
one of the things that I think Matthew is doing is helping us to realize that God's very deliverance, God's solution for the whole big problem that will once and for all take care of it came through people who very desperately needed to be delivered. Just like your family. Just like my family. All you have to do is go to Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> to know that things are not supposed to the way they're supposed to be. Because we are indeed fallen, but in the midst of our fallenness, God uses us to bring about deliverance, to become part of the family tree of the Messiah. And the same thing that was true for Matthew's genealogy is true for all of our genealogies. That we all have messed up families. <laughs> and in the midst of that mess, God is bringing about his redemption, his plan to put things back to right. And so we need Advent to help us to remember that and then to see that and to wonder at that um, as we look at our families and our friends and the world around us and know um, that somehow in the midst of all of that, God is at work. He has a plan. It is being carried out, and it will not be thwarted or stopped or derailed. It will be brought to completion. And so for my family, I look to my grandfather as one of those turning points. Um, even though he desperately needed a father figure and could have responded to that need in all kinds of ways, eventually he responded to that need by coming to faith, by turning to Jesus. And in doing that, he changed the trajectory of our family. And then as George mentioned a couple weeks ago, my family has been the biggest source of blessing in my life and as well as the biggest source of brokenness in my life. And somehow in the midst of both of those things, Messiah is showing up. And so may we be thankful and know that God's plan um, is indeed be being carried out. We will be delivered um, as we are people who desperately need to be rescued, but that we also get to be part of his rescue plan. Thanks be to God.